are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Oh, man. This is a crazy day. I look out, and I've seen many of my friends I attended college with. I committed hard fouls on the basketball court on. And uh, just give me a little grace. Lightning is not going to strike. I am going to preach to you today. And bring the word of God, and uh, I'm excited to, sh- to share with you what's on my heart. And Rick is one of my favorite people. I mean, I, I get together with Rick once a year on the cruise <laughs> with a bunch of pastors, and, and all, of, all we do is just sit around and listen to Rick. That's all, because he's got the best stories. Tell us the one about, you know, you fell down at the funeral. How about the one where you shaved off your eyebrow? We just, just tell us over and over. <laughs> He's got the best stories. You guys know that you are blessed to have the most caring, brilliant, bright pastoral family in the world right here, right? You know that. It's all, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And he is my friend. But in this room, many of you have made a huge impact in my life. And it was 22 years ago that I was sitting in your seat. And, um, you know, God uh, kind of changes things sometimes. So... This is a loving, giving, productive church and has been for over a hundred years. You've sent people out like me. You've done more good than you even know. And I just want you to hold your head high at BFC because this is a strong, strong congregation. And God has done a lot of good work here. And, And I came in the ministry as a result of a movement of God that went through our church that really went throughout the whole country. And in the 90s, the Promise Keepers movement was a men's movement. And uh, I think it was 93 or 94, BFC took a group of about 22 guys up to Boulder, Colorado, and there were 22,000 men in the stadium, and they came back from that encounter with God totally changed. I just remember some of my friends that used to fall asleep during church right here in these pews suddenly become attentive and active in, in, their, in their faith. And I was like, I, I want what they have. And so the next year, 190 of us made the trek to Boulder, Colorado, a stadium filled with, with men. And God got a hold of my heart in a new way there, so much so that two years later when, when Bill McCartney said, we want a million of you guys to go to Washington, D.C. for the million men uh, on the mall. How many of you guys attended that? You remember that? Okay, a bunch of, okay. That was where God said, I want you to go into full-time Christian ministry. And I said, yes, in that moment. But then I went home and I told Mindy, and I was like, Mindy, this is what God says, but I don't want to do it. And we fought back and forth, me and the Lord, not me and Mindy. <laughs> but it was, it was one of those things that finally God got through to me. And um, it has been a blessing to become a pastor and to follow into that calling. And then, you know, Mindy was raised in this church. I I remember the first time I saw her was, I was sitting on the aisle seat where you had the extra leg room right back here. And I saw her walk by on a Sunday night and I was like, oh my, who is that lovely woman? And she's with me today. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about how God loves me every day. Because no matter what stage of life you find yourself at, you need to be reassured every once in a while how much God loves you. Because there are three plagues that come at all of us, not only Christians, non-Christians alike, wherever you find yourself in life, you want to pull out your notes, you can follow along. The three plagues of the modern mind are stress, anxiety, and loneliness. You know, stress being 
there's too much to do, not enough time to do it, or I need more resources than I currently possess, or there's just some things I've got to pay off because I went ahead and bought that when I shouldn't have bought that, all the stress that comes with life. Then there's the anxiety that where you can't see anything good that would come from this decision. You can't see, like, you know, the road ahead just seems to be shrinking. The options don't appear to be happy, chest-tightening, teeth-grinding, worry, anxiety, and anxiety medication flies off the shelf every year. Uh, uh, They tell us that they set a new record in how much anti-anxiety medication is prescribed, and I'm not against that. It's just a fact of modern life that there are so many things weighing on us, and add to that the plague of loneliness. It's not getting any better with all the social media addictions and additions that we have in our life. Instagram, Facebook, and all that 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 promise connection don't actually add connection. In fact, they've done studies. The longer you spend on Facebook and or Instagram and or Snapchat, the more miserable you get. It's one of those those paradoxical things that the connectedness that we have is about a mile wide and a quarter inch deep, and it doesn't do our souls much good, especially when it comes to loneliness. So they came up with some dating apps. Perhaps you've heard of these dating apps like Tinder and OkCupid. I don't have them on my phone. I'm a married guy, right? But, but in a way, to help, they came up with some applications. So on Tinder, for instance, now again, I've been told this. I saw, I saw a documentary on this. That uh, you can take a, an application on your phone, see a picture of a person that you've put in their filtered uh, criteria with. And you see that picture, and if you like them, you swipe right. Well, if they see a picture of you and they swiped right, there's a match. And get this, it goes, ding, you matched. And you can actually direct message that person and connect. Well, no surprise here, for the females who get on Tinder, 80% of them are actually looking for a relationship. But you guessed it, when guys get on OkCupid or Tinder, they're not looking for a relationship. In fact, 80% are wanting sex that day. So you see the train wreck the cultural train wreck we have with social media that is supposed to be helping, but it's not. In fact, they did a study this week that published that 55,000 people were studied, and the group from 16 to 24 experienced loneliness more often than any other age group. In fact, 40% say they are lonely most of the time. This is compared to those 65 to 74 and up, only feeling lonely 27% of the time. So 40% for the younger people, 27% for the older people. The people with all the technology are lonelier. In this world of brokenness, in this world of lack of truth-telling, as we've experienced through the Supreme Court confirmation process, whichever side you find yourself on the aisle, you're you're mad or you're mad. We're a nation that's angry. And who's telling the truth? So let me, let, me, let me tell you what God says. Into this broken world, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome, remember, he had never visited, and he, he just knew that there was, there was a group of flourishing Christians in Rome, and he wanted to tell them the basics of the Christian faith. And he writes this chapter, and, and Romans chapter 8 is really written acknowledging the duality, the brokenness that we have in our world. But yet, in all of that, God is still at work. In fact, it's, I'm going to start here in verse 16, I think it is. 
He says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. You say, how was creation cursed? Well, it started back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and they made the decision to sin. And when sin entered the world, everything changed. There had to be like fleas and ticks and spiders that bit. And uh, poison ivy was got to be a result of the fall. That wasn't just accidental, right? You know? But all of creation was split. There was, there, was a, there was a beginning of decay. It says, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So the implication is there, our world is dying and decaying. The brokenness, the anger, all the angst that we feel in our society is nothing new. It's been around since the fall. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. I remember when my wife was groaning, you know, before the epidural kicked in. When we had our children, oh, and you know, I wanted to take that pain from her. Not that bad, but a little bit wanted me to take that pain from her. It would look bad, you know. But then he says, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including, I'm I'm looking forward to this one, including the new bodies. Can I get an amen? He has promised us when we were given this hope, when we were saved. That's our promise as believers, that God is redeeming creation. He's promising us a new body, but the implication is creation is. Is broken people are broken they're wounded they're hurt and wounded people wound other people we all know that's true it always comes to it it's always a shock to me when people are shocked by the brokenness of life it happens to every single family in this room If I were to ask your stories and look around and you guys were able to to recite back to me the pain currently happening in your life, every family in this room could say, here's what's going on. Here's where I hurt. And it's almost like you look, and again, the curse of social media is you see everybody on their best day and you're thinking, what's wrong with me? How does God love me? Every day. Let me give you four ideas. The first way he loves me is God is constantly working for me behind the scenes. Look at verse 26. He's going to keep talking. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. We don't know how to pray. But the Spirit helps me, helps you in our weak areas. I got a lot of weaknesses, you know. (laughs) I have a weakness for sweets. I could eat sweets all day. 
My mother-in-law, Sandy, she made a cherry cream cheese pie last night, 10.30. What am I doing eating sweets? Because it's there. That's why. I have a weakness, but the Spirit helps us in other weaknesses, right? Laziness, depression, anger, drama, relationship issues. Maybe you just drama just follows you. You don't even know why. <laughs> Maybe it's because that's because you're kind of a drama person. You know, you carry it around with you. And it's always like if you don't know the drama person in the room, it might be you, you know? But all of us have weak spots. We were brought up a certain way. We were taught to believe a certain thing. The exposure to other elements, the weathering of life, we have weaknesses. So how is God working in my weakness? How does the Spirit groan with me? Well, sometimes the Spirit of God uses His Word back through my mouth. It's amazing how this works. That when I quote God's Word, His promises from my mouth, there's a transfer that happens from my brain to my vocal cords, and once it gets out of my mouth, God begins to change the atmosphere, not only in the room, but in my heart. This is how God helps me in my weakness, when I don't know which way to go. See, when life gives you pain, you speak a promise of God. When life gives you a pain, speak faith about the work. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. So when I feel like I don't know where to go, I remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want, right? When I feel overcome or overwhelmed or out of gas, <laughs> which is quite often, you know, being a pastor, I wasn't a pastor for a lot of years. This is hard work. What Rick does, and, and, and I watch him online, he's an amazing communicator. But do you know the, the amount of time it took for him to come up with whatever he came up with? It's a lot of stuff. You've got to pack a lot of stuff in your brain so that when you get up here and you see all these, you know, like peering eyes back, you give them something good. It's hard to do what you do because I've been where you are. I mean, all of us get tired. And so I, the, the quote out of my mouth is, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I gotta go, right? And so I quote those verses out of my mouth when I'm discouraged and when I'm low, when somebody yells at me. Because <laughs> sometimes people like to take shots at their pastor. You know, if they said thank you once, they can say bad things ten times online. That's just the way it goes, you know. I mean, just, we are a nation of winosauruses. And so, and pastors always get like the point. It's windy at the top. <laughs> so when I'm discouraged, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Isn't that good news? So that's how the Spirit helps me in my weakness. He, he shows me His Word is the one thing in all of this world that is true in a, in a nation full of people that don't know the truth. We have the truth available to us in God's Word. And it's life-giving. And when you have a pain, speak the promises of God to that pain because it is not an isolated incident when you are in pain. It's part of life. It's part of life. But other times, He'll give you a happy friend. You know, that's how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Or a great sermon or a wonderful book. God is always up to something. That's how he loves me. Secondly, God brings some kind of good out of every situation. Verse 28, often quoted, 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works. This is one of the most comforting and troubling scriptures in all of the Bible. It's easy to lob at people who are going through a hard time. Cheer up. In all things, God works. Come on. Chin up. It's going to be okay. It's really easy to lob that at people who are in pain. But when you're in pain, can I tell you, sometimes this verse stings a little bit. Because my version of the Bible, the Brett Rickey version, would read like this. God stops all the bad things from happening to those of him that are in him, that are his kids. God stops all the bad. That's the version that I would come up with. But that's not true to life. God works in all things. He works together. It may take decades to see. You may not feel it in your lifetime because Jesus promised this. In this world, you will have trouble. Did he say you may have trouble? If you get up on the wrong side of the bed, you're going to have trouble? No, in this world, you will have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. He was talking to his closest friends. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In all things, God works. He's working for good in every situation. Now, in our family, over the last six years, um, we've had a lot of health issues. Mindy's had breast cancer and dealing with all the fallout from that, all the great blessings of chemo and radiation that many of you have experienced. And Amy sitting right next to her has been afflicted in the same way. And There's not a whole lot of good that comes out of breast cancer. And at the very first, you know, Christians are the worst to give advice when suffering comes, sometimes. <laughs> They're stupid. A lot of Christians, just say, they just say stupid things. Oh, you're going to have a great testimony, Mindy, after this. And Mindy's just looking at him because she's a pastor's wife. Thank you, you idiot. You know, she didn't say idiot, but that's what she thought in her heart. Like, I'll trade places. See, Jesus didn't suffer so that I would never suffer but that when I suffer, I would become like him. Did you hear that? I'm quoting Tim Keller. <laughs> he came up with this one. Jesus didn't suffer so that I would never suffer, but when I suffer, I would become like him. In all things, God works. Jesus proved this on the cross and the resurrection. He took the worst the world could offer, and out of that pain that he bore, he produces in us, life. See, suffering is a part of life, the, the part that I would like to get rid of. But in many ways, God uses, to shape, uses it to shape me. And that's the third thing I want you to look at in the Scripture, that, that God shapes me to become more like Jesus. Verse 29, For those who God foreknew, He predestined or He predesigned to be conformed to the image of His Son. 
Now, when I think of that word conformed, when I first look at it, I'm thinking like, you know, jello and mold. You know, you, you conform something to the mold of the outside. But this, the word here is samorphous. Now, now, what that means is that morph bit, is, it's an inner transformation. So God pre-designed that we would be conformed internally to the image of his son, that we would begin to think like Jesus, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God's desire and his pre-design was that my internal makeup, the way I think, the way I feel, would begin to reflect the same internal makeup, not just the outside, Christians are really good at getting the outside like one another. Like, okay, if we get the ten to-dos, if we, if, we, if we come together on an idea of how we should behave outwardly, that's good, right? Well, actually, what God is designing in us is internally that we behave, we begin to think like Jesus Christ. God saved me to shape me to be transformed. And I gotta say... In my college years here and after at BFC, many of you shaped internally like Jesus Christ changed my life. I got to say a shout out first to uh, St. Louis and Rita McLean. (laughs) St. Louis is not just a town of Missouri. He's a man who attends BFC. He's been canonized in the Church of the Nazarene as the best college pastor ever. Amen? St. Louis, right here, Rita. Open up their house to us. Mike Brooks and Stephanie Schellenberger taught our Sunday school class when it first got started for our age group. Pastor Mel McCullough broke down the word each week and applied it, and he laughed really big laughs because Mel loved life, and he was sharing it with us, Dr. Dudley Powers. He taught the Bethel Bible series. He was my physician. He also showed me what Jesus looked like. Dr. Roger Hahn taught the men's Bible study that changed my life. To my many guy friends, Lauren Hall, Donnie Carly, Mark Baker, many others who came back from the 1990s, the Promise Keepers movement, they came back new people. They showed me how to want to live like Jesus because God had reshaped them on the inside. This church has been so formative for me, not because of all the cool things that you do, but because so many of you are like Jesus. God shapes me. He shapes you internally to be conformed to the image of his son. And lastly, that brings me to the point that you've got to remember as you go. As Pastor Rick was saying, next week is the time to invite people. But as you go, remember, God is on my side. He loves me. God is on my side. Verse 31, this is the comfort bringer. So no matter what you face in life, this is, this is the truth that you need to say out of your mouth. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? A Paul who would suffer, he would suffer persecution everywhere he went. To the Romans who would suffer, because pers- remember, Christianity was illegal. Nero would try to destroy it. He blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians. Everything bad was happening to Christians. They were living a good life. And Christianity teaches us that not all the bad things are going to go away when you come to Christ. In fact, bad things, you may be persecuted for doing the right thing. You may be applauded for doing the wrong thing. We understand that as New Testament Christians, but we can just say this, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
With Jesus on our side, we are never alone. We are always on the winning side. It doesn't matter if Kevin Durant gets traded to Golden State. The Thunder can still win it all with Jesus on the team, right? I'm telling you. Now I'm preaching to the people. I'm still a Thunder fan. I live in Florida, but we have a whole contingent of Thunder fans, and we were sick and sad like you when KD went west. What's up with that? It's just Russ and the ball, and he dribbles too much, right? All these things. You guys know. When Jesus is on your side, in life, in life, if he is for you, cancer, financial calamity, relational issues, difficulty, divorce, distress, if God is on your side, who can be against you? That's good news. So let me say this slowly. I'll let this sink in. If God asks me to do something new, no matter the outcome, I'm going to win. If he asks me to trust him with everything, I'm going to do it. Like going to ministry, I'm going to do it. See, there is no security in life without God in your life. You can build up the biggest nest egg in the world, and one 1929-style stock market crash can bring it tumbling down. There's no security in life without God in your life. And I remember when we started a brand-new church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in July of 2000, we were part of Tulsa Central Nazarene and the pastor, Dave McKellips. He was the executive pastor here, and he asked me to start a new church, and I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and then about six months later, I came around. And um, we were going to meet in the school, 6th and 7th grade center of Union School District, and I sat in the parking lot before that day. It was about 7.30. The ser- first service was going to start at 10. And I was praying, and I felt, Like, God, (laughs) what if nobody comes? We're a brand new church. (laughs) This is is kind of a hard thing. I've never done this. And I felt God say back to me, Brett, would you be willing to fail for me? And I was like, well, of course. You know I would. He said, then it's all uphill now. Just just take it easy. I got it. You're not going to fail. And into our school for that first service, some friends from BSC showed up unannounced. Tim and Margaret Anna Adams, Lauren and Lori Hall, classmates of mine from BFC, were there on day one to support our new church. And I was like, wow. See, when you're moving with God, you can never fail. Isaiah 41.10 said this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen? In response to stress, I remember God is working behind the scenes. It's not all on my shoulders. In response to anxiety, I remember that God is bringing good to me. In response to loneliness, I proclaim that God is shaping me to be more like Jesus and that he is on my side. And in just a moment, we're going to receive communion as a family. And Pastor Rick is going to lead us through that. But I just want to ask you this. Is there anything in your life today where you needed this reminder that you need to turn back over to God and let him shape you internally 
to be more like Jesus Christ. Even the suffering, the sickness, the sadness, the loneliness, all of that God can use to shape you in a good way. Would you bow your heads? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the honest reminder that in a world that is broken, decaying, and dying, that you sent your Son to bring life. Eternal life, but life in the small and the big right now for all of us. So in every person's heart right now, would you set their minds at ease? Would you remind them of your love as we take communion together? That there's always a seat at the table no matter where we've been. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.